chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. begin reading in verse 12. First Peter chapter 4 verse 12. When you got it, say so. And it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their party is blaspheme, but on your party is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. God, we do thank you for your word that is truth, Lord God. It is the divinely inspired truth by which we stand, Lord God, by which we live, by which we have our very being. And Lord, I ask you today, Lord, to open our ears, Lord. God, give us ears to hear what your spirit says to your church. God, soften our hearts, Lord. I know that Sometimes as we go through difficulty, as we go through hardship, Lord God, our hearts become hardened, my God. Our ears become deaf. And Lord God, we become so overwhelmed by what we may be facing and what we are going through, Lord God, that we lose sensitivity unto your spirit and even receptivity unto your voice. And so God, I pray today that you would help us to overcome our flesh, to overcome obstacles, and to be not only hearers of your word, or not only people who come into a building to hear the preaching of your word, but God, a people who come into a building to be better equipped to leave, Lord God, as light and salt in the midst of an earth that desperately needs it. God, I thank you for the privilege that I have to preach your word, to teach your word. May the hearts of your sons and daughters, including mine, be transformed today. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> for those of you that are joining us today for the first time, we are going through the book of 1 Peter, and we'll be going through the book of 2 Peter. We're going to finish out the book of 1 Peter, have a little intermission, do some topical preaching, and then we'll come back and finish out 2 Peter. And this book really deals with Christians in suffering. It is a book that is written unto those who are Christians, who call the name of Jesus, who Jesus is their God and their Savior, and yet their lives are not easy. Hallelujah. Their lives are not like they expected. They thought, you know, that they were coming to Jesus and everything, you know, was going to be a little, maybe a little bit difficult, but not as difficult as it is. They thought, well, you know, we're going to come to Christ and, and, and everything is going to be all right. And a lot of times that is how we come to Jesus. Hello. 
That's, that's how we come to him as though we believe. I know me as a young man, when I came to Christ, I believe that, you know, this was the easy way. Hello, somebody. No, this is the only way. <laughs> Y'all ain't saying nothing. This is not necessarily the easy way. This is the only way. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Anything apart from Jesus is worthless. Hello, somebody. And so it is important that we understand the, 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 the relevance of this book and these books that Peter is inspired by the Spirit of God doing right to write unto us. And as he continues to exhort the church on the topic of suffering and trial, we can be encouraged that we are able to endure hardship as believers with faith in the goodness and sovereign control of a loving Savior. And so that, that, that's a whole lot that I just said there. But here is the thing. When we are going through difficulty, the greatest thing that will be attacked, the greatest thought, the greatest feeling that is going to be attacked in our lives is the one that says that even though I'm going through a bad situation, God is still good. And even though I know that God is able to change this situation and he has chosen not to, he is still in control. And those things are tested when we are going through tribulation, when we are going through trial, when we are going through difficulty and hardship. And that is why the apostle is inspired to do that. Because many of us come to Jesus and we have seasons of glory and, and power and majesty where, man, it is awesome to be a Christian. And then we have other seasons when it is not so awesome in the sense of what I feel or what I'm experiencing. And yet and still, God is still worthy of the same glory and the same honor and the same praise no matter what we are going through. God in his mercy inspires Peter to give us some helpful insights into the whys of our suffering. He doesn't give us all the whys, but as we look at today, we'll begin to see some of the whys, some of the reasons of our suffering. And that should help us to rejoice in the midst of our hardships. The title of the message this morning is that, Rejoicing in Suffering. Learning to rejoice while you are going through hardship. Learning to rejoice, not go and get drunk. Hello. Not go and get high. See, we talked about that last week, right? We, we dealt with that. How automatically our propensity is to go back to that which we used to do when we go through hardship. And so God is saying, no, I want you to rejoice. I want you to give me glory in the midst of what you are going through. I want you to honor me and let it be known unto all of the world that you have no idols in your life, that there is nothing greater than me, but that I am the King of kings and Lord of lords, that I am the one who is governing and guiding, that I am the reason for your existence existence and that if everything else fails and everyone else leaves me that I will still give you praise because of what you did on that cross and if for the rest of my days on the earth you decide not to say yes to any other prayer I will still give you glory that's a tough place to be at especially for those of us that are going through difficulty and going through hardship that is a place where our faith is truly tested where we really have to dig down deep within our souls and ask the question who is my God who is my God? Are my children my God? Is my circumstance my God? Is my wife, my husband, are they my God? Is my job my God? Is money my God? Because here is the truth. When you go through testing and that testing involves your family, you will find out quickly who your God is. You will find out quickly who your God is when your money is messed with. Hello. And so Peter starts off this wonderful portion in chapter 4 with this beautiful word, say, Beloved. Say it loud. Say, beloved. beloved. It's something that echoes from the heart of God unto all believers that we are his beloved. That word beloved, it is a constant reminder that should encourage us that we are divinely loved. 
that we are loved by the by the creator of all the earth, the heavens, everything that you see and you know you are the apple of his eye. You are his treasured possession. That is encouragement for us to continue that no matter what I'm feeling, no matter what I'm going through, that is something that you have to come together with Jesus and allow him to inscribe upon your heart. That way when you go through difficulty, you don't forget I'm his beloved. And he will never allow me to be tested beyond what I can handle. You know what the problem with us is? The problem is we want to determine how far we can be tested, not realizing that God is sovereign and he knows how far we can be tested. We want to say, okay, that's enough. He says, no, you can handle a little more. And, then, and, and you know what? It's not even about you handling it because this, I was talking to Pastor Robert about this. And we have this wrong mindset. We think that Christianity is about us becoming a better me. Listen, it is about you dying. I know you didn't want to hear that. I know. I know that's painful. It's not, it's not about you being a better you. You know, we, come, we, we have people that come to Jesus, and here's how they come to him. They come to Jesus with their good life, right? Their life is all good, and he's just his cherry on top. Y'all ain't, y'all, 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 you, hear, you hear what I'm saying? That we, we come to Jesus not as though he is life. We come to him as just an extra, I just want to guarantee that I go to heaven. Hello. I, I, he, he's, just, he's just an, he's not a desperate need. And so when you come to Jesus, it is about us dying to ourselves. The apostle Paul says, we carry around, around the death of Christ in our life daily that the life of Christ may be manifested. It is about us dying to ourselves. It is about us not becoming a better me, but us reflecting Jesus. That's the reason why we go through hardship and we're like, I can only handle this much. And God says, okay, when you get to the end of you, then I can start. Mm-mm. When you get to the end of you, when you get to the end of your wit, when you get to the end of your wisdom, when you get to the end of your strength, the end of your ability, the end of all of who, when you get to the end, that's where I begin. Because that's when you are able to focus and look at me, and then you're able to rejoice because you realize it wasn't you that got you through, but it was him. And so this is what the, what, what the apostle is trying to encourage the church as he's dealing with them in this topic of suffering. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we can rejoice in suffering because we are not shocked by suffering. We can rejoice in suffering because we are not shocked by our suffering. Look at verses 12 through 14 with me. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which, are, which is to try you. Now, I want you to see this. He tells them not to think it's strange, and that word strange means like a stranger. It literally means to be shocked. And so he's saying, don't be shocked because of what you're experiencing. Don't be shocked because you're experiencing this thing. The worst question, and I say this with all sincerity and all humility, the worst question we can ask as Christians when we suffer, when we go through hardship, is not the question why, but why me? It's not the question why. I think the question why is a great question. You need to ask the question why when you are going through difficulty as much as possible. But when you add that little part, why me, there's an issue. Why is it an issue? I'm going to give you two reasons. One reason is because it's prideful. The second reason is because it's ignorant. The ignorant part, let's deal with that for a moment. Sometimes we ask, why me? Because we are ignorant to the fact that the scriptures teach us continually that if you decide to follow Jesus, you will go through hardship. And so sometimes we're ignorant to that. Sometimes we are taught. When I was led to Jesus, that was one of the things they said to me. This is the easy way. They didn't really break down all of the hardship and all of the difficulty and the different things that I was going to go through. And so I was ignorant to that. And so ignorance doesn't mean that you're stupid. It means you're uninformed. 
And so some of us are just uninformed. We have not come to terms with the reality that this is what the scriptures teach. I had someone call me, and I've told you this before, I think probably when I first started this series, I had someone call me who, who, was, who was attending another church, and when this preacher, an invited guest, came to preach to the church, he said, no longer is there any suffering for Christians. In his preaching, he said, Christians no longer go through hardship. In other words, if you're sick, there's something wrong with you. If you're broke, there's something wrong with you. If you're going through difficulty in your life, there is something wrong with you because if you're a Christian, there's no more suffering. That is what they communicate. But when we look at Jesus, it's not so. He was the Son of God. God the Son. That's who Jesus was. And he went through hardship. Hello. He went through difficulty. He went through things, and he promises. Again, Jesus promises, you're going to follow me. He, t- he tells these people, you're going to follow me, do what? Carry your cross. Does that sound easy to you? Did you see what the cross was like? He's like, you know, you're going to follow me? You're going to go through some hardship, and guess what? You need to predetermine if you're willing to go through the hardship or not. The fact is that we'll preach the gospel, and we won't talk about the hardship because we are afraid that people will decide to reject Jesus and say, not today. Listen, I would rather you say not today than for you to say yes to Jesus on a false conception that you're not going to go through hardship because I would really rather you understand what is going to happen to you when you come to Jesus. You are going to experience the greatest joy you can ever imagine. You are going to experience a love like you have never known it. You are going to experience a fulfillment like you have never had before, but on the other side of that same token you are going to experience rejection like never before you are going to experience hardship like never before people are going to talk about you who never talked about you your best friend's going to think you're crazy because you love Jesus and so this is the reality if you want him you're going to get all the good stuff but there's some other things that are going to happen as well and so don't be ignorant to it and then there is the other one that I said which is prideful that you're like well how is that prideful well first of all Jesus went through suffering and you think you're better? See, when you say, why me, you're saying, I'm better than Jesus. Oh, glory to God. When you say, why me, you're, 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 you're depending upon your own righteousness. You are depending upon your own goodness to say, man, I don't deserve this. I always tell this to people when they're going through stuff that they don't deserve. You are in good company. When you are going through things you don't deserve, you are in good company because Jesus went through everything he didn't deserve. (laughs) Glory to God. Why me? Why me? Why me, God? He chose you for something. And listen, I'm going to say this, and some of y'all ain't going to like what I'm about to say right now. But always why me? You know, because people always want to encourage you. And listen, I'm not trying to discourage you, but here's, here's what I want you to get. We always want to have this mindset. Well, man, if I'm going through this kind of hell, there must be something really big on this other side. The other side is heaven. Glory to God. That's the guarantee. Big stuff, great stuff, glorious stuff. Some of us, we're going to carry some hardship throughout our life. That is just how it is. Some of us are going to go through, and God is going to be glorified in those things because you have learned this principle we're talking about today, to rejoice in your suffering. To understand, man, look, if he has entrusted me with this, and I'm a firm believer, you're going to go through hardship, but but can can we just be real? There are some people, their story didn't turn out like Job's. (laughs) I know know y'all don't want to hear me today. Listen, some people's lives didn't, they didn't get double for their trouble. Hello, somebody. I know, listen, I believe, and I pray, I, I want you to know this. I'm saying this to you because I love you, and I don't want you to be deceived if you're going through hardship and waiting for that glorious day. The glorious day to wait for is the one when the trumpet sounds and you go to be with Jesus. 
That is a glorious day you should be living for. And so what, what I'm saying is, on that side, when I pray for you, I pray that you will see double for your trouble all the time. I pray that God will be merciful. But what I understand is that God does not have to do anything. He doesn't have to. He is God, I am not. He is God, you are not. Therefore, when I go through hardship, when I go through difficulty, especially the ones that I realize that I don't deserve, and, and no, notice what I said. I said it's wrong to ask the question, why me? It's not wrong to recognize I didn't do anything to deserve this, but I can give praise to Jesus. The second verse there that we look at is verse 13. It says this, it says, don't, or in verse 12, he says, not to think that some strange thing has happened to you. Nothing that has happened to you is just happenstance. Nothing that happened to you is coincidence. Everything that happens to you is within the divine providence of God Almighty and under God's sovereign control. Now, there are some things you deserve because you earned it. You sinned, you did wrong, made bad decisions, and so now you're going through all of this. And I told you it is beautiful because Jesus died for all of your sin, all of your stupidity, all of your bad decisions. Amen? So we can rejoice in the fact that we don't have to sit here and try to pay for our own sins. We can let the, the, the work of the cross work out in our life, and we can let Christ do what he wants to do. But then there are other things, obviously, that we don't, you know, that we didn't necessarily do to earn, and, and we're experiencing some things. And so we have to understand that we're going to go through and experience some stuff like that. In verse 13, he says, but rejoice. To the extent that you partake of, the, of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. As we share in the sufferings of Christ, he says this, he says, to the extent, to the degree that you and I suffer and go through hardship. You know what we need to do? We need to get our praise on. See, here's what I want you to understand. You going through hardship, you going through difficulty, and again, I said this before, you may not be going through it today, but just remember this, you will go through something. It may be all good today, but there's going to be a time that you're going to need this message desperately, and there may be someone else who you know that is a Christian that needs to understand this principle. But this is what happens. Peter is saying, to the extent, to the degree, the amount of suffering you're experiencing, let your rejoicing, let your praise, let your exaltation of Jesus match that up. See, what we do is we want to wait until after our trial. We want to wait until after our situation to give God this great praise. But you know what he says? Dig deep, give me glory. Dig deep. Because here's the thing you got to realize. This is where the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It is when you are rejoicing in him that you begin to experience this overflow of strength. You see, what happens to us when we go through hardship is, honestly, when you go through something difficult, do you want to mess with people? You don't want to talk to no one. Do you want to sing a song? Of course not. You want to sit in a room and listen to depressing songs. I mean, think about what you want to do. Think about what people naturally do when they're going through difficulty. They find the most solemn, soft, you know, just like heartbreaking music so they can remain depressed. I want to hear this song about heartbreak. Why? Is it doing anything to fix your heart? Is it doing? No, it just makes me, makes you feel what? Depressed. It makes you feel discouraged. God says, listen, to the extent you're suffering and you don't deserve it, you're going through hardship, you're going through difficulty, to that extent, rejoice in Christ. If you did something to deserve it, to that extent, rejoice in the sufferings of Jesus. That you know what? I messed up. I made the, I made the bad decisions. I did what was wrong. But you know what? I can still give him glory because he died for my sin. And he loves me. I am his beloved 
And so we can rejoice and we can bring him glory. But he says, to the extent, and he says there's a reason. Not only do you gain this strength now, and we'll talk about that point in a moment, but also the day that his glory is revealed, you will, ex- you will be exceedingly joyful. You know what exceedingly joyful means? It means to have a shout of joy. It means to have an overflowing abundance of joy within your soul. Now, here, now here's what I want you to understand. When he talks about when the glory of God, when, when his glory is revealed, he is specifically, in context, talking about the day that there is no more suffering, there is no more hardship. Jesus comes, gets his church, or you go to be with him, whichever one comes first. He is talking about that. But can I tell you something? As I was studying and I was meditating on these scriptures, I looked at it and I said that when his glory is revealed, and I said, you know what? God is so good to us because as we walk in this earth, we get glimpses of his glory. We get, and and here's the beauty. God is so glorious that a glimpse of his glory is overwhelming. God is so glorious that just a glimpse of his glory begins to give us this shout that is just a precursor to heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What happens is, as we are going through, when is his glory revealed? Well, sometimes his glory is revealed in the midst of you worshiping, praising him, in the midst of hardship. He begins to saturate you with his peace and an understanding that, man, these scriptures that I didn't even want to hear. Because you know how it goes. Listen, I mean, can we just be real for a moment? There are some times that you do not want to hear that I know the plans I have for you. You don't want to hear. You want to see the plan already. Hello. I mean, let's just be real. I, I mean, I'm, my wife asked me for the scripture the other day to encourage someone, and I was like, glory to God. And I said, you know what? The fact of the matter is there are some times that I don't want to hear that. I just want to go, look, I just want to put my head under a pillow, and I don't want to hear anything. I just want to wake up when it's all over. Right? I mean, come on. That, that's just being sincere. I know some of y'all walk on water, and I pray that you pray for me, glory to God. So that way I can get out of, you know, I can be delivered from my depressing moments. But the fact is, sometimes, man, I, I'm straight up, I look at the Bible and I'm like, I know, I, I know all things work together for good. Glory to God. And I'm not like, yes, all things. It's not like that. Sometimes it is not like that. But you know what? That is where repentance is so important. Because when those scriptures don't inspire my heart, it's because I've lost focus of the truth. That's the truth. You see, if we're going to be real on one side, let's be real on the other. The reason why I don't want to hear all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose is because I start doubting his love. I start doubting was I called according to his purpose. Did I, I, start, I start losing folk. I mean, it just happens. It happens. And so we lose focus. You know what we do? We come before Christ and we repent before him. And we say, man, you are still good. And I know that I don't feel beloved, but I am beloved. I know that I don't feel all this, but I know that you have declared this over me. And so I trust what you're saying. And so you've called me into fellowship with your son. You've called me into fellowship with your spirit. I need you to feel me because right now I am on empty. You understand that that's what a relationship is about? You ever, you ever come to your spouse, for those of you that are married, and you, and you just come to them, and you're like, man, I just need a hug right now, right? And, and this happens to men, too. I know some of y'all, you know, men be like, I don't like nobody hugging me. I know I told y'all about cuddle time. I know, I know y'all don't want to hear about that. But listen, I'm talking about those moments, right, where, where you know, you just, man, you just need a hug. And, and sometimes for a man, let me tell you something. There was one time my wife and I, we were watching this church conference thing on TV. You know, they had these, these um 
videos that they gave me, and we're watching this thing, and, and as, the, as the preacher is instructing, it's, it's a pastor's conference, and at the end of it, he says, okay, I want you to get with your wife, and I want you to face your wife, and I just want you to, like, lay your head on her shoulder. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and turn this off now, and I'm going to go get, like, you know, some food or something, and we'll be good to go. And I obeyed, you know, in, 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 in the moment. And you know what? It was at that moment that I understood, man, that there's nothing wrong with that. Because you know what? When you were a little boy, right, for those, for those of you men, a lot of y'all were mama's boys. Mm-hmm. Right? There you go. You see your mama and you just want to hug, right? You feel it, right? Listen, there, is, there, there are some moments that you need that, right? And obviously the women, you know, you, you're more in tune with that sensitive side, right? Amen. Glory to God. We all have emotions. Glory to God. But the fact of the matter is, when we come to Christ, when we come to him in this place of rejoicing, honoring him, giving him thanks, he begins to reveal his glory at those moments. And we experience that same overwhelming experience of his love and all that he is that gives us the comfort that we need for whatever we're going through. For whatever we are facing, but we have to learn to discipline ourselves, not to think, I'm going to figure this out on my own. That's what y'all want to do. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my own calculation. Okay. Where's God in this? I'm going I'm to figure this out. But where is God in all of this? Where is he in your heart? Have you sanctified him as Lord or have you made yourself Lord? Continuing on in verse 14, he says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, Blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. He says, if you are reproached, and that word reproach there, it means to be spoken evil of. It means to be spoken bad against, like to be blasphemed. That's what, it, that's, that's what that, that word means there. The reason why that's an important word is because much of the persecution that these people were experiencing was simply verbal attacks. It was simple words that were being spoken against them. They were hearing things that were hurting their heart. They were being attacked verbally for being Christians. They were being ridiculed. They were being made fun of. And so what happens is, he says, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, you're blessed. You're happy. You should be happy. He says, because of what? He says, because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. The spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Here's the thing, that we have this great privilege, and it is that while we are here on this earth, we get to be carriers of the glory of God. We get to be carriers of the very presence and power of God. But at the same time that we get to carry this glory, we become targets for ridicule, for reproach, and for disrespect and dishonor because of the Jesus we serve. But here is the, the great news about all of that, is that when it says that the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you, it literally means to let someone regain their strength. That's what it means. He is saying the spirit of God, when you're being reproached for the name of Jesus, the spirit of God and glory are resting upon you. In other words, they are making you rest. They are giving you rest. That's the reason why we have to rejoice in him, bring him glory, and allow him to bring us the peace that we need to continue forward. When we are going through that, that is what the enemy wants us to do, is he wants us to turn away from that. He wants us to think that there is something wrong. And so now we have to humble our hearts before God and say, okay, God, I want you to be glorified in me. 
Your spirit is resting upon me. I want to take advantage, full advantage, not negatively, but I want to take advantage of what your word says and the truth that is there because God doesn't just say stuff just to say it and sound cute, but God's spirit is dwelling upon our hearts, especially when we're going through hardship in our lives. Amen? The second thing, repeat after me. Say, we can rejoice once we have examined the reason that we are suffering. Look at verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter or in this name. During hardship, when we're going through difficulty, there's a few things that we need to do. We either, we, we either need to repent, we need to rejoice, or we need to forgive people. That's the bottom line. When we're going through hardship, we need to figure out one of those things or which one is supposed to happen. But that can only be determined through reflection. You need to figure out why. Again, ask the question, why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing this? Is this because I did something wrong to someone? Is this because I dishonored God? I disobeyed him? If that is the answer, then you know what the response is? Repentance, and then you rejoice. If you look back at your life and you see, man, this is something that someone else did to me. This is someone that, something that someone else did to hurt me. I wasn't, I wasn't deserving of this necessarily. You know what that means? That means that you need to forgive. Say forgive. You need to let some stuff go. And if you need, you know, after you forgive, then what do you do? You rejoice. You rejoice. And if you didn't do anything to deserve it, if it wasn't something that someone necessarily did to you, it just happens to be a circumstance because you are following Jesus, then you need to simply rejoice that you are able to experience this reproach for that name. Our suffering in Christ is supposed to bring God glory. It is supposed to bring him glory, not to bring us shame. He says here, he, he tells us again, he reminds us that we should be suffering because we're Christians. Well, that's, that's okay to suffer that way, but it's not okay to suffer as a murderer. So people will read that, and you'll be like, well, I haven't killed anybody. Move on to the next one. A thief. I haven't sold anything, so I'm not a thief. Evildoer. Well, I don't know. I'm not really an evildoer. You know, I make mistakes, right? You know, all that kind of stuff. And then we're going to say, you know, busybody. Well, I'm not a busybody. Well, first of all, let's talk about being a murderer. Is anybody a murderer in here? Most of you say no. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever hated someone? Cursed someone out? You're a murderer. Hallelujah. That's what the scriptures teach. It's not what I teach. It's what Jesus said. He's talking. He's preaching to the people. He's saying, look, man, if you have had hatred towards your brother, then you are, in, you, 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 are, you are in danger of judgment because of that stuff. You call him a fool. You call him rocker. You all, oh, yeah. Hello, somebody. Right? So we got some murderers. Hello. We'll suffer as a murderer. Don't allow hatred to be in your heart. That's what the Bible says. Well, what about a thief? Hello. Let's talk about being thieves. I'm not a thief, Bishop. You know, when I was a child, I might have stolen something. But as an adult, I don't steal. Okay. I don't know who I was talking to, man. So if I was talking to you, I, I, just, I just, when I was going through this, this thing came to my head. And so please, if, don't be offended if I had this conversation with you. But I'm going to say it anyway because someone needs to hear it. Amen. That's my disclaimer, glory to God. I ain't trying to put nobody out there. <laughs> what about those people who have friends that arrive to work on time for them? And they punch in their time clock for them like they were there. Right? You're going to be five minutes late. So you call them and be like, hey, can you just clock me in? Why? Because I'm going to lose my job if I'm late. That's being a thief. What about your income tax? How about that? For all of you that do income tax, glory to God. Are you totally honest with all of your income tax, or do you fudge some numbers? Do you make some, so you get some more 
You're a thief. Then when they audit you, you get mad. Be like, how? Why? Because you're a thief. Listen, I'm not going to give you like 50 examples, but I want you to know some of y'all think you're not murderers and you are. Some of you think you're not thieves and you are. That's just factual. So what am I trying to do? Make you feel condemned? No, I'm trying to help you to wake up. Because murderers and thieves, guess where they're not going? Yeah, they're not going to heaven. Yeah, I know. you. I love you, Jesus. And that's why he says, part from me, I never knew you, you work of iniquity. Let me put some parentheses for you. You murderer, you thief. An evildoer, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. Just think about every other sin that I didn't mention yet. All of those things, don't suffer for those. Right? But then the one that I love the most out of all of these is being a busybody in other people's matters. This is amazing. You know, you know, you know, you know, do, do, you, do you know what busybody in other people's matters means? Can, can I tell you this? I, I love this. I love this word. It is to be a self-appointed overseer in other people's business. Did you hear what I just said? A self-appointed overseer in other people's business. In other words, no one invites you into their business. you just all up in it. You see, the reason why I said self-appointed is because most situations have an overseer. Like, for example, church has overseers, has me, has the other leaders. We don't need everybody trying to tell us everything to do. Hello? Right? Does that mean that we don't need people to come and talk to us? No, come on, let's not be immature and get crazy right now. Does that mean that we are above anybody else? Absolutely not. Not in that sense. Does that mean that we are infallible like the Pope? No, we're not. Yes, I said the Pope. That is what I said. In other words, I can make mistakes. I can't just make up doctrine and say, well, this is what the Bible teaches, and that's going to be it for this, you know, whatever, however long I'm the reigning pope. No, that's ungodly. And if you come from a Catholic background that offended you, I really apologize. But I hope that you repent and turn to Jesus. But listen, okay, here, here. Does that, but God gives us as leaders authority to lead, to govern, and guide the church. Amen? And so we don't need extra overseers. Hello, we need brothers and sisters in Christ who will come to us and help us grow in the grace of God, who will let us know where we can get better and have good conversations. I invite those kind of things. But I don't need you to try to run the church while other people are called to do that. How about in our homes with our children? Glory to God. This is hard. This is hard because, you know, sometimes you see children that are a little crazy. Right? And it's like you got a book for that parent. Hello, somebody. And you, and you are just going to impose your will on them. They didn't invite you to give them no counsel. They didn't invite you to communicate anything with them. You just do it because you just feel motivated to do that. And so now you appoint yourself. You know, you appoint yourself the overseer of a marriage. You're the one that is going to govern and guide this marriage. Wait a second. The whole point of that word is it is being self-appointed. It is one thing when someone comes to you and says, hey, man, I need some help parenting. Glory to God. Please help out. I need some help in my marriage. Please help out. I need some help in these other areas. Please help out. But don't appoint yourself an overseer. Like you're the one. You're going to tell them everything. Because then here's the other problem. Is that, you know, someone said that word gossip. That's what ends up happening. Because you self-appoint, you make yourself this overseer. So you know what you got to do? You got to complain to everyone about how they're not listening to your great counsel. Mm-hmm. Listen, don't suffer for that. Don't, 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 don't be the person, see what I mean by suffering is, don't be the person who nobody wants to talk to because you try to tell everybody what to do. Can you just be the ear that hears and prays and when people ask you for counsel? Listen, this is, some, this is really good for like marriages, glory to God. Because sometimes your spouse is coming to you not because she needs your advice, she just needs you to listen. 
Hello. Hallelujah. And other times she needs your advice, so you need to be open to both. Praise the Lord Jesus. And sometimes your husband comes to you, and you know what? He didn't want to hear you give him the ten reasons why he was wrong. He shouldn't have done it like that. He didn't need to hear all that. I guarantee you he did not need to hear all that. Glory to God. He didn't need to hear you tell him you told him so. He didn't need, he didn't need to hear all that stuff. He didn't need to hear all that. He needs you to just listen and say, yes, baby, I understand this is tough, and I'm praying for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> Y'all are like, Bishop and his wife got issues. My wife is not like that, glory to God. Y'all in the flesh? Y'all crazy? Hallelujah. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately, we have to understand what are we, what are we suffering for? I look back, what am I suffering for? Is it because I'm breaking the laws of God? Is it because I'm doing things that don't honor him, that don't bring him glory? Or am I suffering simply because I named the name of Jesus? See, when I was reading through one of the commentators, what he's saying is he says, don't be ashamed, right? And back in those times, Caesar was the king. And so once a year, the people had to come and they had to make an allegiance and they would have to say, Caesar is king. Well, Christians would come up and they would say, Christ is king. And because of that, they would suffer persecution. Sometimes they would be incarcerated, even killed, because they would not declare Caesar as king. Because it wasn't saying that Caesar wasn't the king of the nation. What it was saying is that Caesar was a sovereign like a god. And they were saying, Jesus is my god. My allegiance is to him. And what happens in our day is that the world, and this is, this is all a work of the enemy, want to make you feel bad for being a Christian. They want to make you feel bad for telling someone, man, I, I, don't, I disagree with that behavior. That behavior is incorrect. I'm not condemning you. I'm simply saying that I can't partake in that or I, don't, I wouldn't approve of that. I wouldn't do those types. We're wrong for doing that kind of stuff. We're like bigots and we're messed up. And so that's what they want. They want us to feel shameful. So we feel like we have to be quiet because, you know, we're too extreme. Listen, you need to be extreme for Jesus. I want you to understand this. That doesn't mean you got to be out there judging everyone, casting everyone to hell. That's not your job either, right? Just be, you're going to hell. Okay, at this moment you could potentially, but here's the reality. The reality is Jesus died for those sins. Jesus died to save you. He died so you wouldn't have to experience his wrath. You wouldn't have to experience. You, we need to communicate those things in love. But here's what I want you to understand clearly. This is the problem that we have. If there is no line that is drawn clearly in the sand, people will never know where they need to come. If we just leave it all, you know, just like kind of like, you know, wimpy and just like, okay, well, you know, yeah, you got to be a Christian. But why do I need to be a Christian? Why do I need? What is wrong with my lifestyle? What is wrong with the way that I'm living? Those things need to be clear because if not, people cannot truly repent. Amen? But it's wrong for us to communicate those things. It's wrong for us to stand up because when you start standing up for something, guess what you're going to automatically do? Stand up for something, you stand against something else. What we need to do is we need to learn to major on what we stand for and don't be afraid to communicate what we stand against. Christians do it backwards. We know clearly what we stand against. I'm against this, against this, against this. But what are you for? What do you stand for? Don't just say Jesus. That's an easy way out. Hello. What do you stand for in those different issues, in those different topics? That's what's important for us. Third thing, repeat this after me. We can rejoice because judgment is not over and it's purposeful. Look at verse 17. It says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. 
And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And so he says here very clearly, he says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, if I was in this place, and this is probably going to be the most controversial thing that I will say. I've said a few controversial things, but this one will probably be the most today. And so what happens is, if I were to tell you this, if I were to say this, I want you to think about this for a moment. If I was to say that God allows trials, allows hardship, allows difficulty, everyone would say amen. Amen? Right? We're going to do a little survey. I want you to raise your hand right now. Okay? This is not to embarrass anyone. I just want to make my point clear. Now, if you agree with that statement that God allows, listen to what, listen to what I'm saying. You've got to pay attention. God allows hardship. Raise your hand if you believe that. Right? He allows hardship. Okay, what about this? That God will use our hardship for his glory. If you believe that, raise your hand. Okay, it's good. How about this one? God causes hardship. You see how our theology just changed real quick? Like, we were like, I'm good with this. I'm, I'm cool, you know. See, I, I, <laughs> listen, you have to understand something. I want, you, I want you to understand something. God loves you. Say it. God loves me like a father. He is a father, right? He loves me like a father. And so what we don't ever want to hear is that God would send hardship into our life. Never. God could never send hardship into our life. Wait a second. I want, I want you to think about your children. Let's say you have a child, and your child has some real ability in a certain area, right? How are you going to develop that in them? By letting them sit on a couch and do nothing with it or to put them through some type of rigorous type of training in order to help them grow, right? Now, listen, you could do this. You could give them a book and say, hey, go ahead and read this and go ahead and figure this out, or... You know, like I know, you don't learn stuff like that from a book. Like, if you're trying to learn karate from a book, it's going to be really hard. Just saying, yeah, I know that move is like this and like that, and, you know, that would be really crazy. You're not going to learn karate like that. Hello. You can learn from a book, but you're going to have to stand up and get into some positions and figure out how does this work, right? That's, that's the reality of what's going to happen. And so, do you think that you love your kids more than God loves his kids? Y'all like, no, I don't know. Okay, let's, let's ask that question again. Do you think you love your kids more than God loves his kids? Say, say it a little louder. Just a little louder. Just with a little bit more enthusiasm. No. God, listen. God loves us infinitely. He loves us beyond measure. Here's what you got to understand. When God does, when God allows, when God uses, when God brings correction. Does not the book of Hebrews glory to God. What, what does the book of Hebrews tell us? When we go through chastisement, when we go through, see, there's two levels of this. There is one that they talk about. It is not the harsh chastisement. It is the preparation for what God wants you to do. It is that he sees potential in you. He sees something that he wants to develop. And you know what it is? I'm going to tell you what the real issue comes into play. And this is what you don't want to hear. You want to hear about all the potential in you? What you don't want to hear about is you don't want to hear about the fact that when God looks at us, you know what he's looking for? He's looking for his son. Did you hear me? When he looks at us, he is looking for his son. 
He is looking to see Jesus. And when he looks at us, the issue is this. He sees Jesus, but he sees too much of me. He sees Jesus, he sees too much of my attitude. He sees Jesus, he sees too much of me trying to do it on my own. And so what he does is in love, he communicates. And, he, and, and listen, here, 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 is the, here is the beauty of this, is that you need to understand that God is not a child abuser. And so when he comes to you, it's just like your son who you know has the ability, you know, or your daughter who has some great ability within math or some other area, and you are going to make them do extra homework. Hello. How many of y'all love extra homework when you were in school? Right? You were like, yes, I need extra homework, please. I, I need extra homework every day. Glory to God. Okay, when you, now, now let me ask you this question. We're laughing, right? When we had extra homework, when the teacher gave us extra homework, gave us an extra assignment, what did we feel like? Did we feel like they were punishing us? Did we, uh, glory to God. See, I'm trying to let y'all think because sometimes we just like, we, we are, anyway, listen. The point is that when we, when we were doing something that was good for us, Something that was there to make us better, to make us stronger. In Christianity, it is about making us more like Jesus. It is about making us more dependent upon the Savior. It is about bringing him the ultimate glory. And so when I say that God will cause some stuff, there's some things that God causes in our life. Now, here's the thing that you got to figure out. Which ones of those things in my life are the things that he is causing are the things that he is allowing? Which ones are the ones that I have earned? Those are the kind of questions that we have to deal with. Because, again, God is not over here trying to beat you up. He's trying to build you up. Sometimes that building up doesn't come but through some hardship and through some difficult situations. And he says this clearly. He says, for the time has come for what? For judgment to begin in the house of God. What does that mean? That means that he's going to start purifying. That's what this word judgment means. Remember, for those of you that make it on the last Sunday of the month, and just as a little announcement, a little plug here, on the last Sunday of the month at 10 o'clock in the morning right now, we do communion. Every last Sunday of the month, we come together and we have communion. And when we're going through communion, I read from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And you'll notice at the end of the portion that I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says clearly that when God judges you, he does it because he loves you and he doesn't want you to be judged with the world. And so when God is doing something of judgment, what he is saying is, I need to purify you. I need to cleanse you. I need to make you righteous. I need to make you holy. I need to, I need to do something in you because I love you and I don't want you to be judged with the world. In other words, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you not to experience the fullness of my love. I know some of y'all would be like, no, God doesn't. Listen, God wants us to know him. And the only way that we do that sometimes is by going through hardship. It is only through the fellowship of suffering. That's why Paul, he says it clearly. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. Because it is in that hardship that you really come to know your Savior. It is in that hardship that you really come to know Jesus. The fire, he says in the beginning, now read it with me, verse 12. He said, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. What is the purpose of it? Remember we talked about the why? The why. It's to try you. What does that mean to try? To give you a test? Yeah, it's a test. It's a type of test. But it's not the kind of test you think. Because a lot of people think of a test as like God is giving you a test so he can know what you're going to score. Like God doesn't know where you're at so he needs to give you a test so he can grade you like a teacher. No, that's not what God does. The score is for you. Hello. The score is so that way you can know where you are at with him. 
That way he can show you where you are. He can show you where you're lacking in his character. He can show you where you're lacking in his way of being or his way of thinking. That's why I go through the hardship. That's why the trial comes to test me. It is the example that we give when we talk about the way that gold and silver are purified. They are tested. They go through this fire. And what happens is all of those impurities begin to bubble up. And so that way you know what you need to deal with, what you need to get out of the way. That's why they come to test us. So judgment begins in the house of the Lord. But he goes on to say something. He says, and if we are going through judgment, what is it going to be like for those who don't obey the gospel? See, here's what I want you to get, and this is what we should understand, is not only should our suffering make us more like Christ in our character, but also in our concern and in our compassion for the lost. Look at this story, this, 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 or not the story, but look at what he is saying. He's saying, if, it, if the righteous, in verse 18, is scarcely saved, is saved through difficulty, it is because of what Jesus does that we're saved, Amen. It is because of what Jesus did that we are saved, not by our own works, not by our own goodness. The righteous one, the one who is righteous, goes through hardship, difficulty, you experience that. What about the person who doesn't obey the gospel? That person is on their way to hell, and that is a scary thing. You know what should happen inside of our hearts? We read these kind of scriptures, we need to get out of our little box of depression, discouragement, frustration, suffering with our pity party. We should need to get out of that box. And we need to look at those who don't know Jesus, and we should have a heart that is moved with compassion towards them. Because if they do not humble themselves before they say goodbye to this earth, they're going to experience all of eternity suffering, separated from God. Does anybody want that on their hands, on their hearts? No. So when we're going through hardship, it makes us more like Jesus. But it should also develop our compassion. And I'll close with this. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Repeat this after me. We can rejoice in the will of God even when it includes suffering. We can rejoice in the will of God even when it includes suffering. Even when suffering is involved, we can rejoice in the will of God. He says this here. He says, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls. Now, here's the big question here. Have you committed your soul? That's the question. Have you committed your soul? Your soul is who you are. Have you committed your identity? Have you committed who you are unto him? And the way that you can answer that question is by this, is that you understand, number one, that you don't save yourself, but number two, all of your life is devoted to reflecting him. Therefore, you are committed to doing good. And what does that mean? It means, because I don't want you to get confused. Don't sit here and say, well, I want to be a good person, and I want to do good things, and all of that stuff. That is not what he is communicating here. What he is communicating is he is making it crystal clear. Those of you that are suffering because of the will of God and, and, and you know that God has you in this situation, going through what you're going through, and so you understand that clearly, he says you need to commit your soul to him. This word commit is a big word, and I want you to think about this word. And there's actually a video that I want you to see. Um, I don't know if they're ready for that in the back. Are they ready for that? I don't see anyone there. I'm sorry. He's hiding on me, man. Glory to God. It's not yet. I, I'll, I'll tell you when. But here's the thing. Here, 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 here's what I want you to understand about this word commit. This word commit, it is a banking term. And what it means is, it means to like make a deposit in a bank. Now, how many of y'all would deposit money in a bank that you knew was like going under? No, right? I would hope not. Y'all should be enthusiastic, but like, no, not me. 
If you knew this bank was not going to give you return, this bank was going to steal your money, you would not make that deposit. You would not make that commitment. And so what we have here and what we understand clearly is that he is saying to commit. It means to give in charge as a deposit for safekeeping. And so the question is, do you, do I really trust him? Have I entrusted my entire life to him? Do I trust that even when I don't feel good, even when it doesn't feel great, that I know that I have deposited my life in the most sure place, and that is in the hands and in the heart of God? And so I want you to watch this video, and I want you to think about those words. I think it's the other one that's already full screen. Right. That one. You got to rewind it. And make sure the volume is up, please. One of the most dangerous terms in English diction. If it could be translated into audio, it would sound like from the saxophone of, the of Lisa Simpson. Two words designed and strategically combined to form the biggest oxymoron in the history of mankind. Almost. But see, as far as the world's concerned, you could live your life foul and could almost get away with murder if you have a nice smile. You could almost meet folks just to almost sleep around and stop at your local clinic Well, you almost had a child. See, almost is no stranger to Satan. Here's proof. He only tells lies when they're almost the truth, and it's amazing. In our incompleteness, we find complacence, but if almost is one of Lucifer's traits then we are inadvertently good as Satan impersonations but on the contrary Christ did his job fully and he proved he was God when he died on the cross like it was his duty and to pardon my iniquities that I committed rudely he resurrected from the grave just to tell death to excuse me But excuse me, this is your life and that's something I can't impose on. But your body is God's home which wasn't loaned to get foreclosed on. See an almost Christian looks right but lives wrong. Can't stand the conviction in Romans so they sit down to be comforted in Psalms. Never understood worship, but loved to sing songs like, I surrender all, most. Because it's far too expensive for you to spend your life on something that doesn't appeal to your five senses. See, nowadays Christianity's like a Louis rag. No functional use, but we just rock it because it's stylish. Not righteous, 
but right-ish. So now all God sees is a pile of Ishmael's when he intended for Isaac's. tried it so no wonder why we're never sold out when we return it after we buy it now let me break it down because you need to beware that your life could lack the very standards that need to be there because on that final day of judgment while God's receiving his heir will he say son well done or medium rare even by worldly standards it'll be highly insane for you to start spending all of your money days before you almost get paid like parents you wouldn't send your kids to a school that's almost safe and ladies would you really date a man who claims he's almost straight after all the Sunday services, Bible studies, and prayer meetings, and everything that goes between, God will say, I never knew you. But that's not even the worst part of living your life as neutral. It's that you were once arctic, but it's your warmness that is causing him to spew you. And this is the very thing that had me. I was bound and held Christian, or at least I portrayed the fantasy with a filthy personal life, but uh, God bless you, brother. How you doing, sister? Personality. I was a male, enveloped by guilt because I was stamped a sinner. I said I was a male, enveloped by guilt because I was stamped a sinner. My message couldn't be received because I didn't represent the sender, yet I was almost delivered. Till that one day that I totally, absolutely, and completely surrendered, I took heed to a modern prophet who proclaimed it was time for change. Now I'm no longer bound to sin, point blank, off the chain. You can ask Umar Abdul Mutalib. He'll tell you the same. You don't almost go to jail when you almost blow up a plane. Like you don't almost go to hell when you almost get saved. Despise the cross that he was slain and thus the cause in which he came. But don't worry, I'm almost done. But before I leave this stage, we have all worked in sin and death was minimum wage. I said, we've all worked in sin and death was minimum wage. But if it wasn't for Christ, we would have almost got paid. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet. Bow your heads, please. Hallelujah.
So the question is, have you made a full commitment of yourself? Have you completely committed all of your heart? I played this because sometimes as Christians we think, oh, that doesn't apply to me and that, you know, I love Jesus. But you know what? There's a lot of times that we're almost. And we have to be real about that. Not that we need to be embarrassed, that sometimes we're like that. And this is the opportunity. God has spoken to your heart. And God has called you today to experience his full freedom, his full love. And so if you don't know him, today is the day that you can put your faith in Christ. And what does that mean? That means to simply put all of your trust, bring all of your sin, bring all of your guilt right to him and say, Lord, here's my life. I accept your sacrifice. I put my faith in you. I submit my heart, my life unto you. And if that's you, today is your opportunity for that. Or if you're a Christian in this place and you just realize, man, I've been half-stepping with the Lord. I haven't been walking with him as I ought to. And today I recognize that. Today is your opportunity as well to humble yourself before him and repent. Hallelujah. Father, today, God, I just pray for each and every person that is in this place. God, you know where we are. You know what we're going through in our individual lives. God, you know the hardships. You know the difficulties. You know the testing that we are experiencing, God. And we we know that you are the answer, Lord. You are not just an option. You are not just an answer, but you are the answer to all, God. So, Lord, I lift up my brothers, I lift up my sisters to you. And, God, for those that are going through hardship, that are going through difficulty, that know you, my God, I just pray that you would refresh them, that your spirit of glory and of God that rests on them would give them renewal of strength, my Lord. That they would experience your comfort and your peace But Lord God, not just comfort and peace that enables them to lay down, but God, that they would experience an abundance of joy that would help them to get up, that would help them to praise, honor, and glorify you. God, that they would know you in the fullness of your grace, my God. Father, you don't want to just come and rub their back, Lord God. You want to breathe fresh life into their soul. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that. Lord, I pray for the ones that don't know you, Heavenly Father, the ones that may have professed your name at one time, who may have walked with you one time, but, God, today they realize that, Lord, if they died without you, they would be separated from you for all eternity. God, I pray that you would draw their hearts unto you right now. I pray that you would draw their lives unto you. I pray that you would fill them, my God. With a fear of who you are, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, that you would overwhelm their lives with the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts as your people. God, I just ask you to be glorified in us. We surrender all of our hearts and all of our will unto you. For you are worthy. In Jesus' mighty name, someone said... Come on and give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.